Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Pre-Med Office Hours, episode 141, with the original crew from MAPT, now the Medical School HQ advising team, Dr. Scott Wright, the man, the myth, the legend himself is in the house today. Hello, hello, hello. Former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director of TMDSAS. That is how you say that. How you doing, my friend? Doing well. It's uh, exciting times and uh, really uh, excited to do this today with the original crew. The original three. The yep. three musketeers, um, as as it, it were. Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of MAPT, MCAT test prep expert for 20 years, hanging out with pre-meds and MCAT test takers. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm a little flustered. We had time zone issues today, so I'm trying to make sure we're live on all the right channels. But we are live on YouTube, and we'll be adding other places as uh, my little button clicking allows. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be with my original comrades. I love doing this with Verenia and Courtney, but it's nice to just be with you guys one week. Aww. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, I am uh, Dr. Ryan Gray, founder at Medical School Headquarters, co-founder at MAPT. I've written lots of books that I have here on the side. Primo Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application being the new or application process being the newest one. Uh, yeah, let's hang out. We're here to answer your questions. Before we jump into questions, though, I want to talk about MAPTCon. It is coming October 6th through 8th in Baltimore, Maryland. We're going to have a old pre-meds night, a non-traditional uh, pre-med night on Friday nights. I've been talking to some fun influencers who are non-trads, like 50-something-year-old med students who just happen to have rotations that work with coming out to Baltimore and hanging out with us on that night. We're going to have an amazing, amazing day Saturday with lots of sessions and and keynotes and a night of inclusivity uh, on Saturday night. And then Sunday is full of workshops and a day for high school students as well. So come hang out with us. MappedCon.com. Early bird pricing is happening right now. It is. We're going to a thousand, a thousand people. That's what we're, we're shooting for. So come, come hang out with us. Yep. All right. Siblings, let's rock and roll. Siblings, you name it. <laughs> yes. Question from drinks. What are some specific items you look for to understand a student quote knows what they're getting into when reviewing the essay or activity section? What a great question. Dr. Scott Wright, this is probably one of the biggest mistakes I see day in and day out when doing application renovation videos. Like, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, or you haven't at least communicated that um, through your actions, through your words here that you've written. What are you looking for when looking at, uh, at either MI-ready students or students you're working with one-on-one -on -one through medical school headquarters? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, I, I often say that when a student writes their personal statement, maybe uh, more so than the activities, but the activities also, that they're using uh, a lot of reflection so that they, so that they are communicating uh, to the admissions committee and then uh, obviously initially to me as their advisor what um, what they learned out of those experiences, what they uh, what was meaningful to those uh, in those experiences, and uh, trying to communicate that. If they're just saying I did this, I did that, it doesn't lead me to believe that they really got anything out of it, other than that they did it. Uh, so I'm looking for that deep reflection that says, okay, I got it, I I understand this. I'm also looking for. Uh, what they're saying to me as their advisor. Um, are they uh, far enough in advance in preparation so that they get what's coming? Uh, that, that we, we just talked about this in, a, in an advisor meeting where we were you know, talking about students that show up on our door uh, in middle of April and it's like, here I am, help me. And all of a sudden we're like, well, you're kind of behind the, the eight ball here. You don't really you know, you didn't give yourself enough time to really um, do this in, in an early fashion uh, uh, to, to be ready uh, for that early application. So I think there's a variety of things that, that I'm looking for. All right. Uh, we have a little bit of breaking news here. Breaking news. Uh, so Comus has made a pretty big update to their application cycle this year. Uh, team, I don't know if you've seen this. Let me read it here. Um, important note, beginning with the 2023-2024 Acomus cycle, Acomus will begin releasing in progress I have, a, I have a question mark for what that means. Applications to institutions as they become available, which will begin the day of the application launch, which is May 4th. They just announced the, the, the open date. Applications will no longer be held for release until June 15th, which historically, very similar to AMCAS, they hold them for a big kind of first wave release, uh, which we always say is mid-June. While institutions will begin receiving applications at an earlier date this cycle, they still review applications based on individual timelines that may not begin until later in the cycle. Applicants are encouraged to reach out to programs directly with any questions. I'm glad. I bet you institutions love that extra piece. Like, go bombard the institution. So a big change. We had last year TMDSAS move away from kind of an automatic submission to schools as soon as you can submit to having a, a small little delay to be able to submit a comus you can submit right away and now there's no more delay for the institution so my assumption is as soon as you submit you theoretically could start getting secondaries immediately i was just gonna say i I have for a while now created timelines that say you might need to pre-write secondaries in April. And I'm just, I'm so glad that I've been warning people that that might happen because now there's one more reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is so complex. 
people get really confused by these timelines. And honestly, like if we'd had even a little bit more notice, I maybe would have tried to draw a diagram. Maybe that'll be next week. Maybe I'll make that for our Academy. Kids. Oh, do you, do you want to see my diagram? Do it. Wait. Uh, uh, oh, my iPad's dead. Darn it. Hold on. <laughs> I'll, I'll charge it. I'll show it later. Okay. So I, while I Ryan's drew one yesterday there, while I was recording. Sorry, the sorry, there. Yeah. But basically we often, when we talk about, um, submitting your application, completing your application. We're talking about AMCAS just because that's where the majority of the schools are. Um, but the truth is each of the three common apps have different dates that open for you to start working on them, different dates that open for you to actually submit, um, different timelines for how long it's gonna take for your application to get verified, if it gets verified at all different timelines for when you could be transmitted to schools and getting secondaries. There's a lot of moving parts here. And um, I think the important thing to understand is you want to apply and submit all of your stuff as early as you can, assuming you're ready. But then also to that sort of little asterisk that this ACOMAS announcement put at the end, that still doesn't control when med schools are going to look at it. You know, Scott, you've been a director of admissions. I think you can attest to this. Even if you're getting applications for the 2024 entry year on May 16th of 2023, your focus is probably still on the cohort that's mm -hmm. starting summer 2023. Mm -hmm. You're not right. going to magically start reviewing applications two months earlier than you planned. If you still have work to do for the students who are starting med school that summer. Right. So That's what right. does this mean? Do they have to apply the day it opens? What if they apply two weeks after it opens? Is, or is the world over? <laughs> <laughs> never. The world is never over. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can give you my two, two cents. So my two cents is this is going to be very similar to a, and actually re, a, a recent conversation that I had on an Ask Dr. Gray episode that came out recently which was if I submit a little bit later in the application cycle, there's always been this weird um, thing where students don't think, uh, again, specifically MCAS, uh, don't think that schools can start sending secondaries until you're verified. That actually is not true. <laughs> AMCAS does have a switch for schools to say, we want to see who's applying to us even before their application is complete. Not every school utilizes it. So technically, for some schools, as a student, you will get secondaries before your application is verified yep. for AMCAS. So that meant this conversation was around, well, if I submit after this uh, first wave of applications is, is available, kind of end of June, let's say I submit July 1st. Should I only add like three or four schools so that I have time to write essays for those three or four schools and then add three or four more and write secondaries for those so that I don't get 20 secondary requests immediately? That may be the new recommendation potentially for a Comus to where you slowly add more schools to your, your application. It doesn't cost anything more to add them individually versus all at once. I mean, you still pay for each school that you add, um, but that may be a new strategy to not get overwhelmed with secondaries. And ACOMAS has historically been very good in terms of verification timelines, very short verification timelines compared to, to AMCAS. So 
This is the art of the application cycle. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's fun. Yeah. I love change. Change is good. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I feel I, I feel sorry for all the schools that are now going to get tons of emails that are going to say, hey, I see Acoma's made this change. When are you going to start looking at applications? Yeah. So sorry, schools. All right, next question. Caitlin asks, most of my clinical experience is as an MA with an abortion clinic. I'm nervous how some schools are going to view this. How do you suggest I go about this in my application? Human bias, Rachel, is never ending and all around us, whether it's uh, being involved in religion in some way, here being involved in an abortion clinic, uh, advocacy work, um, uh, big kind of uh, march. Uh, what, what do you call when you're like marching and doing that? It's advocacy stuff, I guess, but that's not the right word. Yeah, yeah protesting. <laughs> like, I can't think of the right word. Uh, you're involved heavily in protests. Um, students are very scared of what potentially will come if they talk about that kind of stuff, especially yeah. in their activity section. Yeah. Um... So I have a couple thoughts around this. So one is Caitlin, you've got to be you and you want to be a physician and you're going to live and work some of the hardest work you've ever done in your life for the next four years. So if there are schools or admissions committee members who are uncomfortable with you having worked at his abortion clinic, I propose that you do not want to go to those schools. Now it's, it's easy for me to say, cause I'm not the one who's in your shoes, right? I'm not the one who's been dreaming of being a physician forever and is afraid of missing out those chances. Right. I've, I've got a more sort of, I have a less personal view on it. Um, but I think whether regardless of what, of what your specific opinions or the specific issues at hand are, you need med school to be somewhere where you feel like you can be true to yourself. Um, the other thing is, I do think word choice matters a lot. Um, yes, you worked at an abortion clinic. You also worked at a women's health clinic, right? So, like, it's the same thing, right? So, I guess my question is, how are you going to write these stories? Um, I'm again, I'm. I think you need to be authentic and true to yourself, but the way you convey data can do a lot with how it's received. Um, and so I think you have to think about um, the whole point of you talking about clinical experience is to tell us what you got out of your patient interactions, what it meant to you, how it confirmed your desire to be a physician. And that's going to be true regardless of where you worked. So some of this might just be keeping the story on those things and not going too deep into the, into the specifics of what was happening at the clinic. And again, not in a dishonest way, but in a just keep, keeping the focus where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yep. And yes, are there a few religious institutions out there that won't like reading that? Yep. You probably don't want to apply to them. Yep. yep. That's okay. Yeah. And by the way, Caitlin, thank you for your work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Elaine asks advice on submitting primaries without an MCAT score for verification. Do you recommend it? So just a reminder, you can submit your application, any of them 
TMDSAS, Comus, AMCAS. Without an MCAT score, you do not need that to submit your application. And depending on when you're taking your MCAT, we recommend submitting it without uh, an MCAT score. Mm-hmm. One strategy, Scott, is that students w- uh, that we recommend potentially, and I was against this. If you go listen to some of my earliest stuff, I'm like, don't play this game. It's so dumb. Just apply to your schools is applying to one school just mm-hmm. to get in line for verification. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. on board with it. It's it's a mm-hmm. simple strategy. Um, yep. what, are you, what are your thoughts on the the thought of waiting for an MCAT score? My assumption is not really sure where they're going to land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could affect uh, school choice potentially um, in some ways. Um, I, I think it's more for, in my view, for the comfort and the satisfaction of the applicant to, to know, you know, depending on what that score is, do I want to move forward this year? Do I want to wait until the next year? So there's a lot going on, not just how the medical schools are going to review it and stuff like that, but even internal to the applicant in terms of do I, you know, want to move forward? Do I want to put myself out there with uh, X score that I don't know what it's going to be? Uh, that kind of thing. So I think there's a lot going on with that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Submit. Mm-hmm. I mean, students at this point should have a rough idea of what they're going to score, assuming they've been yeah. taking full length exams and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But uh, obviously, you never know until you actually get your score back. That's right. Yeah. yeah you can try the one, one, uh, uh, yeah. one school trick. Yep. It's Absolutely. always kind of interesting to me when people ask this question, because I think like, well, what's the alternative? Yep. Um, it's, it's a risk. And it's a risk that you've decided to calculate and already take, right? Because your choice at this point is either, and I see some people in the comments asking about, oh, I'm taking it in June. It's kind of the same same question, I think. Your choice is either I wait until July and submit later than I know is ideal, or I wait and apply next year, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's either submit without so score, submit late, or submit next year, right? Because the obviously the ideal solution is a time machine, Right. Would that you had taken the MCAT in January. But since that's impossible, what's the next best choice? Mm-hmm. Yep. Billy asks, I've done some work in advocacy and legislation regarding health coverage in my state, i.e. reducing hospital bills and burden on patients. Is it OK to talk about or to political? This is the same same answer as before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No different than the abortion one. Yep. yep. All right. Kiana. Hi, all. I'm a pre-med student working as a behavior technician. Does this count as clinical? (laughs) Is it clinical? (laughs) So behavior health technician, for those who don't know, typically are people who work with children with autism or people with autism, um, helping them uh, work in their environment, whether it's doing homework or learning how to play with other kids and whatever they're doing. It's a lot of play therapy. Mm Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel, I've historically called this, yeah, that's clinical experience Um, because you're working with a patient. It just happens Mm -hmm. to be a little bit of a different environment. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think generally. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always nervous about is it clinical questions based on the title because the title really doesn't tell me much. And I used to say, oh, it's about your job description. But too many people took me literally and they were like, but I don't do what the job description on Indeed says. What I mean is, what did you do every day? <laughs> right? Yeah. 
if you are interacting with the patients in a way directly related to their health, it's clinical. And there is gray area there. So my question, Kiana, is do you think it's clinical? And if so, why? Right. Mm -hmm. um, start to write the essay. What comes out? Are you writing a whole bunch about helping nurses and stocking shelves? That's not a clinical essay. Are you writing about helping students and keeping them calm? And, you know, like Ryan, you used the example of like kids with autism. I mean, behavior techs can work in a lot of things. But are you, are you, I said students, I meant patients. Are you, are you actually with the patients? Are you doing things that are not administrative or like physical, you know, like physical labor for like stocking supplies, right? Then it might be clinical. So yep. you tell us. <laughs> yes, yep. yes. Um, I wanted to share this graph. Um, let's see if this will work. That's not it. Um, Close, yeah. but that's a weird screen share. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep working on it. <laughs> let's, let's do another comment. We'll circle back to Ryan. <laughs> Ivy asks, for the Application Academy, do you help edit personal statements for that? Yeah, let's talk about Application Academy. 10 sessions a week with myself, Rachel, Scott, um, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions at Morell College of Osteopathic Medicine. We have extra sessions starting soon. Rachel, when are the TA sessions starting? Uh, they should be starting next week, and okay. it'll, it's going to bring us up to 13, 14 sessions per week. Awesome. You do not have to go to every session. Uh, every session covers something a little bit different. Um, if I share, I just uh, I've got the calendar I can pull. Yeah, up. go ahead. Share. Yeah. I was going to pull up the calendar too. Okay. Uh, if I were sharing screen, there we go. Oh wait, not quite there. Um, but yeah, can you guys see the calendar. Nope. Not Hang yet. on. Multiple sessions a week. Um, some of the sessions are reviewing personal statements. I did a session yesterday doing interview prep. Uh, we're doing personal statement activity essay review. And how we do it is you submit a part of your personal statement. So one of the sessions may be personal statement seeds. One of the uh, office hours may be personal statement watering events. One may be personal statement conclusions. And so you submit that part of your essay and then we review and sometimes we review all of them in, in a session, and sometimes there's too many to review all at once. But one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we get from students is being in that group environment. Even if my own thing wasn't reviewed, I'd learn so much from watching other people's writing styles and essays and everything being reviewed. All right, that's way too small. got to zoom in on that if you can. <laughs> yeah, how's that? <laughs> Didn't change. Didn't change. Nope. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll share uh, a different way. I'm uh, two months into using a Mac, and I still don't get it. <laughs> I'm just not That's a right. Mac person. That's all right. We'll, uh, we'll learn you. All right. So let's share window. And this may not be big enough either, but I can change today. So we can see if I share here, add to stream. Um, this session is personal statement seeds later today with Rachel. Yep. And then we have, um, activities with Scott later tonight. And these times are all in, um, what do you call, what do you call that? Eastern. 
mountain. Mountain, mountain. Yeah, because it's mine. Tomorrow we're doing activities with Courtney, Q&A with Courtney, all that fun stuff. So it changes every single day. Conclusions on Friday with me. We'll probably have to go and change our Zoom link after this uh, since I'm publicly <laughs> putting the Zoom link out there. That's all right. That's easy enough. Cool. So that's what it looks like. Every every day is something a little bit different. Personal statement seeds next Monday. Activities next Monday. More activities. Open Q&A sometimes. Yeah. And the big question I keep getting is like, well, what if I'm not ready yet? What if I'm still taking the MCAT? What if I need help with a personal statement edit and you've moved on to secondaries? That won't happen, right? We did have a system like that in prior years. But with this new system, we're going to be constantly rotating all topics all year long. So no matter where you are, we're going to have a session you need in the next two weeks. So the idea is you drop into the sessions that are relevant to you that you're working on. So I had said before, right now it's April, or it's March, it's not April yet. Most people are, are working on primary application on their personal statement, on their activities, maybe on the new um, other impactful essay that we're still waiting to get the official word on from AMCAS, but disadvantage is going away. There's going to be a new primary application essay that's required for probably everybody who's applying to MD school. Um, that, that's the big focus right now. But there are students who are pre-writing secondary. So we have secondary sessions once every week or two already. Um, so if you're a little bit ahead of your peers, you're in great shape. We're going to have something for you. Conversely, if you're not able to work on your personal statement until late June, do I think that's ideal? No. Am I still going to have a session every week to help you? Absolutely. So wherever you are, drop in, get what you need. It's always live. That's it. Um, all right. I can, I think I'm ready to, there we go. to share my screen here. It's still not perfect. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. Oh, it's weird. It's like, it, yeah. All right. I'll just make you the, there you yeah, go. Make me primary. So this is, I, I just roughly sketched this out yesterday. Is this what you were thinking about, Rachel, in terms of- No, kind of yours is better. Mine was going to be way more complicated. This is nice <laughs> This is a general thing. We always try to get students to understand about rolling admissions, where the number of seats, which is, and I'll, I'll change to red here. The number of seats is this line here. At the beginning of the cycle, starting in May, the number of seats is going to stay pretty constant, right? About 30,000 seats between AMCAS, ACOMAS, TMD, SAS. And then at some point, schools are having interviews, and it's it's a little bit later, right? The seats probably start going down around here. But you have uh, early decision candidates, and then you start getting interviews and acceptances. And so the number of seats is going to go down, down, down throughout the application cycle. And then eventually the schools are going to go, okay, we're full. I don't have any more seats left. I've given out all of my interview spots and with early decision and with deferrals and students who are held back, um, we're, we're full. But on the opposite side, you have the number of applicants. You get a spike at the beginning because everyone's like, oh, we got to play early. And then it continues to go up over time. And yes, you still have people applying at the very end in October, beginning of November, whenever the official deadlines are for each of the application cycles, it's most likely a huge mistake to apply that late, but students do it every single year because they don't understand this graph. And 
when you get your MCAT score back, let's say you take it in June, you get your MCAT score back in July. Well, this is potentially what you're looking at. If you take it in July and you get your score back in August, well, this is what potentially you're looking at, right? So just a, a visual on rolling admissions and, and how the timeline affects what's happening. Yep. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. All right. Keisha, how do you make a school list when you have one in-state school and surrounding state schools have in-state bias? Premedyears.com slash 437. Go check that out. Uh, Dr. Wright, this is an interesting thing specifically for you in Texas where a lot of students are afraid that their being Texas residents is going to be held against them if they apply to Oklahoma, Louisiana, Kansas, states around uh, around Texas. What should a student do here when, when picking a school list and they only have one in-state school to pick from? Yeah, I mean, you apply to the one school in state and uh, you recognize that uh, if you're pl- applying to state schools outside of your state, that that's going to mean something uh, in terms of the, uh, uh, your, um, you know, how competitive you're going to be at those uh, other state schools. And you choose some uh, uh, private schools that have those state requirements. Recognizing that there aren't just state schools, there are private yeah, schools. Right, that's right, that's right. Yep, both MD and DO. Right. Yep. That's it. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mantos, can you talk about the process or timeline for requesting transcripts? Yeah. So you cannot request transcripts for AMCAS or COMAS until the application cycle opens up. You need an official transcript request form from the application cycle for that application cycle from the application service. Scott, TMDSAS loves doing things differently. They tell you when they want their transcripts. So they'll they'll say, hey, yes. Johnny, hey, Mantos, we're ready for your transcripts. Go ahead and request them and send them to us now. Yes, that's correct. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things you should be doing beginning of May in that first week, once the application cycle opens up, is go ahead for AMCAS and ACOMAS, go in, request your, get the transcript request form, and, and send those to the schools that you've been to. Every single institution that you've been to. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Elaine, do I still have time to register for the essay editing service with you guys? You do. We were just talking about workload this morning to make sure that uh, we're not overwhelming our lovely advisors, but also that we can still turn around stuff for you all in a timely fashion. So, yes, you can. Medicalschoolhq.net slash advising for any of you who are potentially interested in our services. We do everything possible to make it so you don't have to use our services. And we recognize that there are still people who want to get a little bit of extra personalized advice. 
Yeah. I always think of it as tiers. Like I'm a menu person. I'm a list person. And it's like tier not, number not, one is. Not T-E-A-R-S tiers. Like if you have lots of tiers, you should work with us. If you but have a little bit. probably of both, right? <laughs> yes. I meant T-I-E-R-S. <laughs> right? So level number one is everything we know we put out there for free. We think information should be free. We There are enough secrets and confusion in med school processes. So podcasts, videos, this kind of live free hour, uh, articles on medicalschoolhq.net. You, we get, I mean, Ryan, I don't even know. You get dozens, maybe hundreds of thank you notes every year from people who never spent a penny with us, yep. right? So level one is just, we're trying to put some information out there because we think the pre-med process needs more clarity. Uh, level two is we have coaching for a group. So Application Academy, which is closing in two weeks. It's still an investment, but the investment is around five, $600 normally, $500 right now because it's on sale. And then to your point, Elaine, if you want one-on-one -on -one service, you don't I really like group because I think you learn more in a group because you learn from other people's mistakes and successes. But if you want one-on-one, -on -one, we do offer that. Um, it may eventually close because we are a small team with finite time in our schedules, but it is definitely not too late to sign up right now. So there's, there's free, there's group, there's one-on-one. -on -one. Yep, yep. What else? Kate, how do adcoms look at, quote, resume gaps in the activity section when someone is in their gap year? May 2022 grad here with last clinical experience ending in October 2022 due to sick family member responsibilities. Doesn't sound like a gap. Sounds like an activity where you can put caregiver. Mm -hmm. Right, Scott? We, yeah. I, I think oftentimes mm -hmm. students don't think of unpaid family responsibilities as an activity. But in this specific case, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and clinical, potentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I agree with that. What about if it wasn't, right? Let's just say Kate sat on the couch and ate bonbons, right? <laughs> um, she's like, I'm done with school. I'm going to take a break and tell my applications and, and when I start med school. And so they apply with what potentially to the adcom looks like they just stopped doing everything. What does that look like? Uh, it depends a little bit. I mean, most schools ask uh, if you've had a break uh, in uh, um, your schooling or whatever, you know, what, what, what was that all about? What were you doing or whatever? And I, yeah. I think as with anything else, you just have to be authentic and say, I needed a break. Uh, I had been really pushing it, you know, whatever, in school and with the MCAT and all that. And, yep. and I just needed some time off and yeah. you just, you just say it. Yeah. Specifically for this question, the secondary, a typical secondary question is if you are not a full-time student mm -hmm. during the application cycle, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. there, there are opportunities depending on the school to, to talk about that. Yep. Workout vids. Hi all. Does going DO path restrict me to any specialties? I'm interested in surgery or specialization like internal med, derm, ENT, et cetera. Why are DOs not in these specialties historically? Well, I would challenge you. They, they are in those uh, specialties. So go, go and look. They're there. Yeah. Rachel, um, what do you think? 
I, yeah, I just had this conversation with someone who I liked a lot, but got, uh, but got me kind of mad because he was like, I don't know, Rachel. I mean, look at the numbers. There's always more MDs and all those specialties. And I'm like, wait, yeah. there's always more MDs. Period. Period. Yep. Right. If you are looking solely at raw numbers, MDs are going to outweigh DOs every time. <laughs> yep. Um, so it's it's just not a realistic way to look at it, right? And if you want to do the whole nuance of like what percentage of deals apply to that specialty versus got in, I don't even know if that data is available. Like I haven't done that kind of deep diving, but there is the NRMP match data does have that information. So if you really care, go there. But even then, the stigma is going away. People are realizing. DO and MD med schools have the exact same curricula, except that DO has 200 additional hours in osteopathic manipulation, essentially 200 more hours in anatomy. So um, I, I just, I mean, I guess the, your question is, is it going to restrict me? My argument is no, it shouldn't. Yeah, there are still a lot of DOs that focus on primary care. Um, a lot of times because the schools have those missions. Um, a lot of times because people who are drawn to DO are interested in primary care. But, um, you know, our colleague Courtney is a former director of admissions of an osteopathic school, and she had students who went on to neuroscience, to dermatology, to, I mean, it's, it's possible. Yeah. Yep, yep. Lily, is there a recommended time to take the preview or Casper? I don't hear many people talking about it, so I'm confused on the timeline. Yes, lots of people confused. Uh, as of right now, we're recording this mid-March. Preview is open for registration. Casper is not as of yet that I've seen. Uh, last time I looked at their website, it's still last year's test dates and, and information. So Casper historically starts testing, I think, in May beginning of May. So think of it, it, the way that we typically talk about it is it's part of the secondary application process. So think about taking it kind of April, May, June, and you should be fine. Mm -hmm. But you need to register for them. So mm -hmm. make sure you do that. Yep. Keja, can you provide more info on the new essay you mentioned applying 2023 2024 had no idea rachel you you slightly uh dropped that by saying hey the disadvantaged essay is going away uh amcas and the AMC has not as far as i've seen publicly announced this they have sent internal communications to medical schools but what the internal communications say is hey we're getting rid of the disadvantaged essay we are replacing it with or adding a new essay rather called the other impactful experiences essay. Yeah. Now I recorded a, a, a short little podcast episode that I was going to release. And then at the end of it, I was like, eh, I don't really like that as a podcast episode. Um, I can, I can give my rundown here mm -hmm. for two seconds at, at the end of the day. I think this is a great move mm -hmm. because too many students didn't consider themselves disadvantaged when they should have, or too many students didn't want to mark themselves disadvantaged because, Oh, I come from a more, a more privileged background in terms of socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. but they've had experiences in their life that I'm like, you should have most definitely marked yourself disadvantaged based on what you're telling me mm -hmm. and changing. If we just, not say that disadvantaged is is going away 
and a new essay is coming called Other Impactful Experiences and just say disadvantage is changing Mm -hmm. to other impactful experiences. Mm -hmm. What I think happens is students go, okay, great. So everyone who used to consider themselves disadvantaged and they were getting ready to write this essay for their application, they can still do it because it's the essay. It's still there. It just has a new name. And then everyone else who didn't think they could write a disadvantaged essay because they don't think they're disadvantaged or they don't want to be pitied or we hear all of it. Mm-hmm. They can now go, oh, I've had some impactful experiences in my life that will add context to the rest of my application. So I applaud the change in language. We have yet to see what the exact prompt will say. So that's to be determined. Right. I don't know, Scott, Rachel, do you have any thoughts on that? No, just I think you uh, stated it well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll underline because we d- we're not always um, – I've met a lot of individuals at the WMC that I like a lot. And then sometimes when I consider them as a group, I can be <laughs> very frustrated with the decisions they make. So I do want to underscore I think this is a really good change. Is it a little scary and unnerving for it to be April and we still don't have the official word on what this essay is going to be, what the exact prompt is, what the character count is? Yeah, it's driving me crazy. The students I'm advising are like, Rachel, am I over the limit? I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 1325, um, let's assume. Yeah, probably. All the essays right? are and and maybe we can reach out to our friends at AMCAS and see if they're ready to relay this to yep. advisors and students and not just med schools because people are hungry to know. Um but, um, but I do think this is a very good change because a lot of people have stories to tell that heavily impacted the, the way they've been shaped as a human that don't nicely fit under personal statement or activities. And this is your chance. So a lot like for those of you that have seen the Texas optional essay, that optional essay is like other characteristics, other information. Like even though we haven't seen the prompt, it feels very similar to me in that regard. So if, if um, I think... A big challenge we see with a personal statement is people want to share things that aren't part of why medicine, because they're such a big part of who am I as a human. Now you're going to have a chance to share that. That's good. Mark, I'm a community college transfer has more than three transcripts and a solid GPA. Will having more than three transcripts be a red flag in my application? How do I overcome these red flags? <laughs> Who thinks of these things? No, you're fine, Mark. Yeah, you're, you're okay. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're there, not there's the like, only one. You're not the only. We've seen what seven, eight. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. People move. People yeah. run out of funds. Military people, family members get sick. Like life mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. You got your schooling. Way mm-hmm. to persevere. Yeah, yeah. They're they're. I've seen this from advisors in the in the parent group that we're involved in. Albert says I have eight. Um, <laughs> that that oh you if if you don't take all of your prereqs at your home institution, then you're gonna be terrible and blah blah blah. And don't transfer because transferring is terrible and it's just it's hyperbolic and it's it's just terrible advice. So mm-hmm. you're fine. It's weird too because I think that. As the medical school admissions process has gotten more rigorous, and I definitely think it has, having been advising pre-meds for 20 years, just the sheer list of stuff we ask our pre-meds to do before they apply keeps getting longer and more complex. And I think what often happens is people think 
that means I need to change my quantifiable things to make them perfect. A 3.7 is a bad GPA. No, it's not. But they say that to themselves. Oh, I only got a 5.12. I better retake my MCAT. Like, what? It's cray. And I think it's just a natural reaction to as the qualitative stuff becomes more important. How do you do on the Casper? How do you do in your MMI? Can you explain your reasoning in an ethical scenario without being dogmatic? Can you prove to me that it's not that you had a thousand hours of clinical, maybe you only had 300 hours of clinical, but that clinical was meaningful and that it impacted you and that you love working with patients, even with patients are kind of jerks. As that pressure goes up, there's a certain segment of the population that instead of seeing this as, hey, this is a wonderful opportunity for me, even if my quantifiables aren't perfect, I can show that I'm the kind of human that's cut out to be a physician. I think there are people who go, well, I don't want to have to prove my qualitative. So I'm just going to make my quantitative perfect because I can control that. Um, it's not a good look, friends. That mm -hmm. way lies madness. Mm -hmm. Focus on the quality. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what is it you would say, Scott? It's not the what. It's the so yeah. what. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Elaine again, a couple of years ago, Dr. Gray recommended 40 to 50 hours of shadowing in 2023. Would you say that is still a good amount? Yeah, consistent. 40 to 50 hours, probably perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. Consistent, right? Scott, that's not, uh, I got 40 hours the summer of my freshman year and I don't need any more. I, yeah, I, I think you want, a yeah. Box mentality to that. That's, that's are right. Afraid of. That's right. Consistency is, is really important. Yeah. And it doesn't mean 20 hours a week, every week. It means five hours a month, yeah, yeah. right? Five hours a month over the course of the year, 60 hours, people. It's amazing how math works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Slow and steady. Courtney, can you talk about LORs and if people want to co-write and both sign the letter? They suggested this and I thought maybe better than separate letters since it's the same experience. Is this mm -hmm. common? Scott, your time as a, a former director of admissions, how often do you think you, you saw co-written, co-signs letters? Uh, I would say it's not typical. Um, I would say that they're... Um, I don't know that I would say rare, but not typical. And, uh, but, um, you know, they're totally acceptable. And I think it's a good option for, you know, what you're talking about in terms of a, a common experience. Uh, so, yeah, I think that is a good idea. Yeah. It may come up. Uh, some students will do this if maybe they want to get a letter from a professor, but they've interacted with the TA a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Could potentially mm -hmm. the professor co-sign a letter mm -hmm. uh, or a clinical experience where maybe you had a nurse supervisor, right, but you interacted right. with the doctor some and the, mm -hmm. the doctor co-signs a letter. Yep. Yep. So there are times where it may be appropriate. I don't think it's mm -hmm. an issue. Yeah. yeah. Shay, can we use physicians' actual names in our personal statement or should we make up a name as well? So this comes up all the time. HIPAA protects the patient, mm -hmm. not the provider. So mm -hmm. you don't have to. But if the, if the doctor's name is Dr. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, change it to Dr. Smith. <laughs> Save those characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I, I, I talked about this the other day. I have a really good uh, friend who, who I did my internship uh, with some months of my internship. His, his name is Dr. Uh, Mupavarapu. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to change your name because that's too many letters, man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Dr. Moo. <laughs> yeah, we call him Mupa. <laughs> PJ Michael, I scribed in the ER for about three and a half years full-time, got about 6,000 hours of clinical experience, but this ended in 2017. Is this experience useless now, or can I still reference this? Oh, it's a good question, Rachel. It comes up all the time, especially for our non-trads who've jumped around a bunch. Useless or... Useful with an asterisk. Yeah, useful with an asterisk. Yeah, useless really bothered me because I was like, well, you earned money and got meaningful experience, <laughs> right, PJ? I mean, like, that had some utility. Yep. It can still show up in your personal statement. It can still show up in your activities. Um, personal statement is anything that uh, shaped your journey to medicine, regardless of timeline. And activities are anything post-high school graduation. Now, we had said before, recency and consistency. We were talking about that with shadowing. It's also true with clinical. If you have not had clinical experience in six years, five and a half years, I'm going to wonder how much you really want to be a physician and you're not hanging out with patients. Um, so that's my question is like, mm -hmm. is that experience useless? No, but what other, what other clinical do you have? Like, mm -hmm. please show me why you want to be a physician. If you've been doing research for the last five years, it's going to look like a, why I want to be a scientist, not why I want to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Big yep. uh from Scott. Yep. I agree completely. Sarah asks, what are your thoughts about getting a letter from a physician? Does it make you look like a stronger candidate? So remember, folks, letters, uh, each medical school has specific requirements for letters of recommendations. So first and foremost, you have to meet those requirements. Above and beyond that, Scott, let's let's say a school requires the, the stereotypical, we always say, two science, one non-science. Mm -hmm. Um a physician letter. Helpful? Not helpful? I mean, it could be. It, it depends on what the letter says. Um, <laughs> yeah. This person uh, would not it, be a good physician. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if but if they said, if the letter said, um, they shadowed me, um, seems like a nice person. I think she'd be good in medical school. I, I, that's not a great letter. Um, but if it went on and how, you know, great questions and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah, it's a good letter. So I don't know that there's sort of, you know, definite yes or no. So, yeah. 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 There's a real weirdness to me in the idea that one person in a career has the end all be all decision on whether or not someone else is cut out for that career. Yeah. Like it, there's just something about that that sits weirdly with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's elitist. It's uh, it's mm -hmm. um, uh, what do you call that uh, barrier? Um, it's it's creating just these these barriers and walls that just 
like why mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah i i would love yeah. and it's funny because we just spent a lot of money developing my lors for mapped i would love for letters of recommendations to go away i'd be very happy they go away 100%. and we use something like casper to go hey casper is supposed to tell us your qualities and traits right theoretically that's what it's supposed to do and if that is potentially more objectively proven than just a subjective letter from someone that says hey i really like johnny right i really love sarah um don't we want that don't we want better data proven non-subjective non-biased information Mm -hmm, mm Yeah, it's and I mean, I, I don't think about. Casper is perfect. Nope. Um, I do appreciate that the folks at Casper, I mean, we've had Kelly Dore on the podcast several times, try to be pretty transparent with us about what they were doing when they built the exam, what they had in mind. Um, you know, no standardized test is perfect, but but yeah, the idea of a letter from a physician, and this isn't about you, Sarah, right? Like you've untapped a real hot topic for us, right? Um, is just um, not everyone's going to have access to physicians who can write them letters. And so I worry that it's sort of a little bit of like a closed cycle where like those who have means and resources continue to have means and resources. So yeah, I too would be thrilled if letters of rec went away. Yep. It's being talked about. I don't think it'll happen, but it's being talked about. Yeah. It gets even more unjust when you talk about professors, you know? Yeah. Um, I've talked to several students recently from large state schools who have said, now that our courses are online, our professors have said no letters of rec, period. So if you've taken biology, gen chem, ochem, and all of those professors have said, I can't do letters for any of you anymore. I mean, I guess you just keep taking sciences until you find some upper level professor who's teaching a small enough class that he agrees. Like it's, it's, it's weird. And I mean, I don't blame the professor. She doesn't want to write 600 letters, <laughs> right? Like the system is is really odd. Yep, yep. Isaac asks, I feel like I don't have any, quote, life-changing experiences that inspired me to be a physician to reference in my personal statement. Do you have advice on how to make my statement more impactful? Scott, I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions when we talk about seeds and watering mm-hmm. events, that these mm-hmm. are like hit over the head, seeing stars and birds and exclamation points and like life-changing aha moments. Talk about that misconception of, of what we talk about. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think everybody has their own story and uh, in the personal statement, you really just have to be um, authentic to your story. And if it has a big life-changing thing, you know, you tell it. If it's just, you know, kind of I grew up and, and I always wanted to be a doctor and, you know, whatever, and it, it just doesn't sound as exciting to you, then I, I think you still have to tell your story and tell it the way it uh, it happened, and uh, and that's all you can do. You just be authentic with what your story is and how it has played out. Yep. Awesome. 
Megana, Megana, uh, one of the groups on Facebook mentions research is important even for MD schools. I recall you mentioning that it isn't as important as clinicals, et cetera, which is accurate. Nobody, nobody's accurate. Um, look, my stance, my personal opinion, one man <laughs> who does not know it all um, is that research is the most overrated part of the application according to pre-meds. Mm-hmm. That's my stance, even for MD schools, for DO mm-hmm. schools, for research heavy MD schools, unless we're talking MD, PhD, DO, PhD, then obviously yeah. you're signing up for research saying, hey, I love research. Look at all this research I've done. Mm-hmm. Time and time again, we get access to uh, over here, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Wright. Um, Look, you're a little man on my hand. <laughs> Dr. Wright, uh, former director of admissions. Uh, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions. Rachel's trying not to crack up. Um, we are friends with many other directors of admissions. Courtney was like on the board of all of the DO directors of, of admissions. Scott used to run mm-hmm. TMDSAS mm-hmm. and had insight into all of the admissions practices, I'm assuming, too, yep. uh, for Texas medical schools. We see time and time again, clinical experience and shadowing are the two biggest things that schools are looking for to understand that you have done due diligence in understanding what this life looks like mm-hmm. and understanding and making sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. I have an episode coming out next week. Uh, I think next week on the pre-med years with Dr. Caitlin Cooper. She's a professor of biology at ASU. She went to med school for a year and realized, Oh crap, I don't like the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I'm like, what, what could you have done differently? She's like, gotten more clinical experience. Um, and so you just, you have to know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So is research important? Sure. Yeah. For some schools. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. But not for a whole lot. Yeah. Our general advice, when we talk, we talk big picture, macro environment mm-hmm. of the pre-med world. Mm-hmm. If, if you're talking about, I, I really want to go to, to wash you. Do I need research? I don't know. Maybe, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what their rubric looks like. I don't know if, if they use a rubric. I, I don't know what mm-hmm. their, their um, specific process is, the conversations that they're having as an admissions committee. We, we can't know specific information like that. Yeah. Big picture is what we talk about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go on Reddit, you go on SDN, people will say, oh, I have a, a 3.9, a 5.20 MCAT score. I have 3,000 hours of clinical. I have I have 600 hours of research, uh, not research, of, of shadowing. And then they're like, I have 10 hours of research. Everyone's going to go, oh, it's because you don't have enough research, right? And mm-hmm. they're posting because they didn't get in. Oh, you didn't mm-hmm. have enough research. Mm-hmm. Well, what did your personal statement look like, right? When, what, did, what did your activity descriptions look like? When did you submit your application? When, when did you turn around your secondaries? What do your secondary mm-hmm. essays look like? Mm-hmm. If you got interviews, did, how did you prepare for your interviews? How did, mm-hmm. how did you do during your interviews? Mm-hmm. Right? There's so many more variables than just, oh, I see that your number for research is low. That's, you probably need more research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Soapbox off. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I think we're at time. Yeah. 
Wow. Nice. We never go over time when I'm in charge. Sorry, friends. We're over time. It's been fun hanging out with you all today. Go check out Application Academy. If you're potentially interested in some group advising, it's probably our most um, economical, our, our highest value uh, thing that we do. And then if you're potentially interested in some one-on-one -on -one stuff, we have um, uh, options still available, medicalschoolhq.net slash advising. Yeah, and then um, if you go to, so we've got premedevents.com up on the screen. We've got applicationacademy.com up on the screen. Application Academy is going to close Monday, April 2nd. Um, what is this? Today's Wednesday, the 14th of March. Um, so you've got two more weeks to enroll if you're interested. Um, and we're doing two preview events next week. So if you want a taste, a session that is as much like Application Academy as we can recreate for the public, go to premedevents.com, sign up for a free preview. You can rec uh, watch the recording if you can't attend live. That'll give you some better insight into whether or not Academy is right for you. All righty. Take care, everyone. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.